the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Killbots, shopping malls, teenagers. Oh man, what have we gotten into ourselves this week, listeners? Welcome once again to the second episode of The Gory Days. I, of course, am Kyle Leone, and this is, like I said, The Gory... Ugh. Oh my gosh. Okay, good. Second cause... episode. Yeah. It's okay, second also, episode. what happened to our little soft rolling intro where we just chat? This is my soft rolling intro. So, okay, well, anyway. Yeah, I guess we'll just cut things. No, 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 I'm not cutting so. any of this. It's all right. Second episode, The Gory Days, the show where we take a uh, stroll down memory slain to remember movies from yesteryear, horror movies in the 1980s and early 1990s, a time of which that I, in my very singular opinion, believe was the golden age of horror. Now, I believe there may have been a second and third golden age of horror. We might even be experiencing it currently, but the one that I choose to focus on with this podcast is movies, horror movies from the 1980s and 1990s. So, if you're just joining us, welcome to the Gory Days. If you're joining us from last week's episode, uh, I apologize for some of the uh, audio things that were happening in there, and also the fact that neither me or my guest could remember uh, the final girl's name in Pumpkinhead. But that's that's neither here nor there. I am here once again, sitting inside, not a warehouse. What was the I... final girl's name? <laughs> I still don't remember. Oh, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> you haven't learned any lesson. <laughs> I am sitting here in this tin can of a recording studio in Los Angeles, California, with a brand new guest. This mystery voice that you've been hearing has joined me t- for our film today, which I won't get into yet. We'll save that for a little bit. But he is sitting directly across from me. He's wearing a Planet Hollywood shirt from Maui, Hawaii, and he is Derek, welcome. Okay, I already had to have a very awkward conversation about my Planet Hollywood shirt today with the bag out or the bag out the bagging guy at Ralph's. At Ralph's, he made a um, comment. Well, the first thing he asked me is, "Oh, are there any of those around here?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I went to the one in Maui, and I pointed at my shirt. Figured that's a great joke. He'll just let this r- slide. No. no, no. He persists in you know inquiring if there's any around here until the conversation turns to. You know where he likes to go, though? Hooters. Because (laughs) even though sometimes the food's not always that great, the service is always really nice. His words. Uh, Yeah. um, And then he proceeds to tell me about some other similarly themed restaurant that's opened in Northridge and at that point yeah I'm I'm just politely nodding through this I'm just happy (laughs) that okay I had to have an extended explanation of I haven't eaten at Planet Hollywood for a long time you explain that it's just a shirt I have uh, it didn't really sink in. I still had to then answer the quality of the food from Planet Hollywood, which I just made up. I said, oh, it's not that great. Right. I just threw them under the bus because so, why try? So you find a stranger bagging your food at a Ralph's, and he sees your shirt, and you, like any normal person, try to play along with it and make a joke. And instead of him erupting in applause and everyone in the supermarket going, yay, ha, 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 he just prods and prods and prods. Oh audacity to turn into a conversation oh gosh it's a shirt i don't want to talk no and the people at ralph's should know this i was at ralph's today too and i i don't want to go on i don't want to go on a rant here but quite honestly the the uh like checkout person bag person relationship seems so strained like i feel awkward enough but it seems like they hate each other 
Well, yeah, the woman who was actually the checkout woman at my counter had to just kind of suffer through this man asking if she had ever been to Hooters <laughs> and, like, if she enjoyed it. She's a captive audience, too. And, like, she had to fake being kind of okay and into it because she has to work with this man day in and day out. And I did not envy her for that. No, no. And that's what I'm talking about is like, I'm there. I just spent however long going through the aisles that you people meticulously placed so that I could find them. I put them all, <laughs> the, the, the grocery people, <laughs> that you grocery people, uh, green grocers put in meticulous places so that I could find it. I took those things from those places, put them in a basket just as a, like a suicide pushed it onto your conveyor belt and now two different people have to touch my food and go like all right i gotta put this in this bag oh man look look how much ice cream this guy bought i gotta figure out a way to put that in so it doesn't melt next to his uh the toilet paper and stuff he bought it's so awkward i wish i could bag myself uh, don't get me wrong they're great at their job they bag better than i would i'm there was a period where the bag strike and there weren't baggers for a while and we were expected to bag our own foods and i was terrible at it i would put there's like a seven item rule to make sure that it doesn't get too heavy i wouldn't do that it's just get it all in one bag as as easily as i can and get that bag out to the car um well this is a nice little discussion because it segues into uh the shopper uh employee relationship that we all experience i'm sure all of you out there may be listening to this during your commutes maybe listening to it while you're cooking maybe listening to it while you're doing laundry i don't care you're dumb you're doing something that's not cool i'm sitting in a hot hot room recording a podcast <laughs> But whatever you're doing, you've probably experienced this relationship before. You probably bought something and the person who sold it to you wasn't necessarily a salesperson. They were just the cashier or they were just the employee. They were just somebody working a nine to five. Maybe even did, ah, excuse me, maybe even a teenager. Oh boy, second episode uh, jitters. Maybe even a teenager is racking you up and sitting there going like, oh man, is this all? Do you want paper? Do you want plastic? Which brings us to the movie that we watched this week. Derek, what movie did we watch? We enjoyed the classic movie, Chopping Mall. Yes, we did. On Amazon Video. Yes, you can enjoy this. I'm pretty sure currently is on Amazon, free with Amazon Prime. Um, and You can buy it, download it on Amazon Video. But yes, we enjoyed the 1986 classic exploitation B-horror movie, Chopping Mall. <sighs> not going to call it a slasher. I mean, it's... I guess it's not a slasher because I say that's not fair. Yeah, you're right. It's not a slasher. I'm wrong. Uh, a lot of teens die, so I just expect it to be a slasher. But no, just dead teens for other reasons. So before we get into the plot and summary of the movie, I like to talk a little bit about uh, some of the background and the context of things that uh, were going on. Specifically, do you know when this movie released? I mentioned 1986, but do you want to take a guess as to what uh, month? Uh, June. That's a good guess. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't guess October, because it was a horror movie. Do you want to try it one more time? Uh, December. <laughs> the answer is, it came out Friday, March 21st, 1986. And it uh, did not do well. It released and uh, was pretty critically panned. To be fair, it's probably because of the name. It was not released under the name Chopping Mall when it first came out. When it first came out, it was released under the name Killbots. And there was actually some confusion among audiences that it was a kid's movie, something along the lines of Transformers. And so they didn't go to see it. It was re-released after that with the new name 
uh, chopping mall, which was actually given to the producers by a janitor on the set. <laughs> this all, of course, is taken off of Wikipedia. <laughs> so as, uh, as reputable as that source is, I still think it's pretty interesting. Uh, so it this is interesting. Please so, continue. So this movie released uh, Friday, March 21st, 1986, against a bunch of other uh, popular movies, including Highlander, A Room with a View, House, the other uh, cult 80s horror movie, Pretty in Pink, and The Money Pit with Tom Hanks. Have you seen any of those movies? Of course not. <laughs> I haven't seen any of these movies. I feel terrible. Like, Highlander. That's a classic. So I think we'll watch House at some point since it also released in 1986 um, against this. But uh, what do you think about that? The fact that this came out um, and had a lot of competition, frankly, with other horror movies. Yeah, I don't know what the memo was for mid-March horror, but apparently it was a popular time for it. Last week, we talked about Pumpkinhead and how, despite its remarkably small budget for the time, it was able to do fairly well and even make back a, uh, a million off of it. Do you want to guess? Oh, so for Pumpkinhead, the budget for that, I believe, was $2.5 million. Do you want to guess what the budget for Chopping Mall was? This is literally a game show, isn't it? <laughs> you just have a list of facts that I didn't have five minutes ago, and I get, you know confused into saying the wrong answers so wait what was my question this time how much did it cost or how much did it lose i'm sorry our time is up the budget was eight hundred thousand dollars eight hundred thousand dollars in 1986 which adjusted for inflation in 2017 dollars is equivalent to one million seven hundred sixty seven thousand dollars and so nothing so absolutely nothing absolutely nothing even the cheapest movies uh, indie horror movies that are made today still have a budget of at least a million, at least two million, I want to say. So knowing that, that it was made on such a low budget, it kind of excuses some of the things that happen in it. Some of the effects, um, some of the like levels of the props department as far as the kill bots are concerned. I'm sorry, the protectors are concerned. Um, we'll get a little bit into that, but I just want to go over the timeline for this movie. Producer Julie Corman had a deal with Vestron, which was a production company, to make a horror movie set in a mall. So Julie Corman approaches the writer for this movie, Jim Wynorski, who had written some other films, two or three uh, by this time. And uh, it's actually funny, kind of like Stan Winston in Pumpkinhead, agreed to do Pumpkinhead if he could direct, agreed to create Pumpkinhead if he could direct. Jim Wynorski agreed to write Chopping Mall on a very cheap budget, if he could direct. I'm starting to notice a theme in Hollywood of how one becomes a director. You kind of have to force your way into it. Yeah, strong arming. You gotta wait until someone's balls are in a vice and you just say, hey, I'll do it on the cheap. So if it's bad, it doesn't matter. I'll die in disgrace. But you can go on thinking you're an amazing producer. Julie Corman, of course, married to, uh, I believe it's Robert Corman, a notable producer still active in Hollywood. So Wynorski agreed to do it on the cheap. Well, for now. We'll find out what he's done in a few weeks and see if he's still active. But go ahead. No, no. I mean, now that you mentioned that, uh, the what I want to get to is that I enjoyed this movie. I, I mean, I won't give my rating yet. I generally enjoyed oh, God, it. Oh, was an actual segue from the awful thing I just implied? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Because in my research, I found some pretty despicable things in the production of this movie. Um, so Jim Wynorski was the writer, became a director, went to his friend Steve Mitchell and said, hey, 
I need to write a horror movie. So in 24 hours, they put together not the script, but the treatment and the story, send it back to Julie and her husband, and they approve it. Even though there wasn't a script, they're ready to greenlight this picture. So Jim snaps into action and wants Kelly Maroney to play Allison Parks, the titular hero, the final girl in this movie. Because, and I quote from a 2014 article in Film Monthly, an interview by uh, Jim Wynorski says, quote, I had seen Kelly in a couple of things and I wanted to date her. So I figured the one way to make that happen was to put her in a movie. We actually did go out a bit for a while. Oh, super Welcome funny. to yeah. Hollywood. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Ha, ha, ha. But... This was in 2014 he gave this interview. This was not hot off the heels of this movie in 1986. This was three years ago, people. And people are surprised at uh, Harvey Weinstein and all the others. At, at least they sort of sound surprised. I was certainly surprised to find this out. I don't know. What do you think about that? Just hearing that. Does it change it? Uh, I think what really is gross about it is the cavalier attitude. The fact that this is a joke for him. Like, he thinks that they actually went on some dates. That this massive power imbalance was not, like, a disgusting quid pro quo. And actually some real interest. What, are they married now? Is there going to be another awful follow-up to this? Would you believe it gets worse? Uh, of course I would. You would? It's not... Uh, the worst part, yeah, that's just still palatably bad. How does it get worse? Kelly Maroney replaced actress Dana Kimmel, who had been cast on the strength of her performance, her merit, if you will, in Lone Wolf McQuaid. But Dana Kimmel didn't want to do anything that was sexual. According to Steve Mitchell, co-writer of the film, who continues to say, So Jim was quick to say, Well, she's out. Let's get Kelly, who was pretty much game for anything. Unquote. An article from MondoDigital.com. Once again, 2014. So just sit on that for a little bit. We haven't talked about the movie yet. We've introduced some of the context. And it's reprehensible. Yes, Kelly Maroney got cast in this movie. Maybe it catapulted her career into stardom. Maybe the uh, maybe the relationship scarred her for life. I certainly don't know because those facts aren't on Wikipedia. All that's written on Wikipedia and on IMDb and some other websites like 2000 uh, Film Monthly and MondoDigital.com is that they joked about how they wanted to have sex with the star. So commonplace that they can just openly admit it in an interview decades later. This is not what this podcast is about, but I think it's important to mention. What else is important to mention is that the mall this took place in was Sherman Oaks Galleria. And I didn't even notice I was looking up pictures of the Galleria. It has not changed. The elevator is the same. It's actually crazy tall. Yeah, wait, have I been there? We've I've been actually there. probably <laughs> been there. <laughs> And just never really noticed it. Blew my mind. Because when we were watching this, we were like, oh my gosh, this is so silly. This mall is so tall. Look how ridiculous well, this is. Not even that. I literally watched that movie going, oh, this movie probably catapulted this mall into fame. Nope. I've been apparently to the mall that it was and couldn't even recognize it. So I wouldn't call that a catapult. No. I mean, an argument could be made that um, the mall is like an another character in the movie you'd have to be pretty poetic to make that argument um but after realizing that it was the galleria i watched a little bit of it again and i was like oh there's blank there's blank 
still just fooling myself into recognizing things because we live in the same city or around the corner from it. So the last thing I want to say is Concord Pictures released Chopping Mall in limited theaters on March 21st, 1986. It was known during the production as Robots, then Killbots, as I mentioned, upon initial release as Killbots, the film did poorly, and it fared better when it was re-released as Chopping Mall, the suggestion of a janitor. So, I think I've gotten through everything I wanted to. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about before uh, we take a quick break and then return for our synopsis? Uh, no, I'm, I'm ready to tear this thing a new one during the synopsis. So <laughs> Quite honestly, I let's am Let's get too. going. Let's do it. All right, when we come back, we're going to be digging into Chopping Mall, talking about what happened in it, what we thought, and then hopefully we'll turn to our Twitter followers for some of their suggestions, questions, uh, ideas, speculations, and everything in between. Come back to the Gory Days. The Gory Days! Welcome back to the Gory Days, the show where we take a... S- <laughs> a stroll down memory slain. It's in my brain. I'll get this. I'll get this. Maybe by episode three. Welcome back. We are talking about the 1986 classic Chopping Mall. This was a pretty fun movie, I gotta say. Um, so let's just jump right in. This movie opens up with... Maybe I haven't seen enough movies, and maybe I will because of this podcast, but it opens up with one of the weirdest openings. It just kind of starts. It shows Concord Presents, and then boom, jewels, and a shoplifter, and he's stealing some things, and he's walking away, and then giant tank treads, a shot of giant tank treads, and then the shoplifter turns around, and boom, there's the full kill bot. Once again, just giving us a full frontal shot of the monster in the first, like, instances of the film, just like Pumpkinhead did. <laughs> um, I would not call these monsters. They're, they are robots. They're not really meant to be horrifying, because, like, they're a commercial product. Like, the goal of... Uh, finish well, this. what happens is, uh, before, really quick, that uh, shoplifter is uncredited in the movie. His name is Rodney Eastman. This is actually an introductory role for him. He went on to be in three uh, Nightmare, Before, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. <laughs> completely uncredited people saw him from this and wanted to put him in nightmare on elm street uh three four and five (laughs) i don't even know who he plays in those but so anyway the shoplifter gets tased falls down the end thank you for watching the gory days everybody when we come back now oh wait that wasn't the end of the movie no it was the end of secure tronics like uh, ad video training? No, not That's training. a marketing presentation. Marketing presentation. Because That's... they're sitting here at a panel <laughs> at the mall. That's what we learned. With apparently what you do when you're going to introduce a new security measure is you get all of the shop owners into a into row like of chairs, chairs in the middle of the mall atrium. Uh, and then you show them a 30-second ad that makes very little sense, and then you immediately open the floor to a Q&A. Immediately! So the woman who did the presenting, who is not the one who made the robots, introduces the guy who made the robots, Dr. Stan Winston, who gets up to, like, a smattering of applause, and these two characters that are sitting in the front row that are, like, a husband and wife offer some, like, snide looks. Stan Winston explains that he's just installed a state-of-the-art security system, which includes security shutters, across all the exits that will lock down to a comedic effect. It's like, and they're not even like from the top down. They're from the sides, like a Star Trek uh, door or something. And, oh, that will not open until 6 a.m. every night, thus ensuring absolute security. And three high-tech security robots, one that we already met, programmed to disable and apprehend thieves using tasers, 
lasers and tranquilizer guns. Well, to be clear, he doesn't say they use the lasers to take down the seeds. That's true. What the, are the lasers, lasers are for? for cutting debris, <laughs> which you frequently have to do in a security. Can they position. cut through anything, Derek? Um, they can't cut through wool sweaters, jeans, uh, but boy, can those b- bastards cut through heads. Oh yeah, we'll get to Just that. <laughs> straight through. But um, yeah, so there's this like presentation in front of the we're. We're just left to assume it's the people who own the stores in the mall because they start asking questions like, well, what about us people who have to work late? How are they going to tell the good guys from the bad guys? To which Stan Winston says, oh, don't worry. Just show them your badge. And the robot scans it and is like, okay, you're good. Um, This whole scene, the silliest part are these two characters that I mentioned. I think they're a husband and wife. It's uh, this bald guy and this, like, prim woman. Their lines were all improvised, I learned. Which makes way more sense, because their lines make no sense. (laughs) He calls one of them ethnic. He says one of them reminds him of her mother. It's the laser eyes. Like, these are... They look like the Three Stooges. They look like they just kind of riff some lines on it. I mean, it's not really the worst. I I wouldn't pay that much attention to them, honestly. They were kind of just a bizarre character outside of the fact that she she delivers lines so strangely and is so instantly defeated when she makes a comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she makes a comment, um, sorry. Uh, it's okay. That it just it really comes off as incongruous and strange. It might make more sense to people who are familiar with the 1982 film Eating Raoul because they're the same characters from that film. A movie I have no idea about, and I'm sure none of the teens looking for boobs and gore uh, had seen. Um, in fact, that's not the only character that shows up from another film, but they're the first two. So anyway, after we're shown the demonstration for how the robots work, we move on to uh, meeting some of our teens. We go to a restaurant, and we find uh, Susie and... Who is it? Allison. Susie and Allison, that's right. Allison and Susie work at restaurant with this, like, big cartoonish Italiano. Andiamo! Come on, come on! Give it to me, give it to me! Mr. Repito, who owns the restaurant. Who sells some of the most disgusting-looking food in existence, but, I mean... It's like a piece of microwave pizza with some corn on the side. I thought there was like a taquito in there too. It looked just like a suicide of cultural foods. Um, all being, and then they offer up some really horrible fat shaming, um, which oh, not that quickly horrible. gets subverted oh because he's a predator. So what happens is uh, Allison comes up and goes, hey, I need an order of blanks, 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 and blanks. And everyone gives them a look like, that's a lot of food. And he goes, it's for that guy. And they turn and there's this man wolfing down food with a table. Yeah, but, like, he's not even fat by 1980s standards <laughs> fat. Like, the guy is, I'm fatter than he is. Like, he's not that big. And by modern American standards, he's almost trim for a man who apparently comes to this restaurant every day and hammers back an order of garlic knots, a, like, two to four slices of pizza, pasta, and a bunch of other shit. He's, he's not looking that bad outside of his greasy mullet child predator glasses and just general sleazebag demeanor uh i missed a thing before that there's a mall montage during the opening credits where they're just kind of showing off things that were in a mall like overcrowding and elevators and lots of drinks in a food court and things like that it's a really silly thing um but yes then we're shown what they call a beach an orca who beat they said i wrote it down what is it that orca beaches himself here every night 
Jeez. Um, and then uh, Susie tells Allison, um, be sure to serve him from a distance. He likes to, he likes to like, it, it's implied that he pinches, that he hits on the waitresses, that he sexually harasses the waitresses. So, just like right off the bat, he's a fat guy, so we gotta make sure that's despicable. And he's a it's woman. Not that... It's a fucking joke in an 80s movie. It's a fat guy in a diner. Why do you want a moral Am crusade here? Right. Like, Jesus, what's the point? So anyway, We're not going to get anywhere. I wrote that down. I wrote fat shaming. And then under that, I wrote to the max. Because that's something one oh, of them says yeah. right after that. Oh, I thought you um, meant the fat shaming was to the max. Oh. Um. Anyway, so... During the presentation, we learned that the robots and their controller and their computer mind and everything is kept on the roof of this eight-story building. So on the ninth floor on the roof is the computer tower. After we've met all of our teens, including the uh, uh, boy teens that work at the furniture or uh, the fabric store. No, it's a furniture store. Um, whose names are Ferdy, Greg, and Michael. Thank you. Michael, who... In every scene he's in is chewing gum, which I find hilarious. Yeah, I think it's supposed to like make him annoying on purpose, but it's really hard to tell if they purposefully shot or like recorded audio of him chewing audibly, or if it's just accidental. But either way, it is a masterful capturing of how annoying it is to listen to someone smack gum the entire time you're listening to them. So in this quick scene, we learn that Ferdy is a wet blanket who takes his job too seriously, and Greg and Michael are horn dogs who can't can't wait for excuse me who can't wait for a party tonight apparently they have uh or oops, there we go apparently we they have organized a way to get their girlfriends and uh, some other of their buddies into the furniture store where there's definitely clean sheets and they're just going to party the night away party they say it's a party uh, after we meet those three, we meet our last two teens who are outside trying to hotwire their car. Are barely teens. I'm not really <laughs> sure we can call them teens. First of all, they're married, which is... We find out they're married! Breaks. You say find out. It's like in the second line That's they say to each other. That's what I'm saying. In this scene, we find yeah. out they're married after... Um... After we okay, also so establish... Okay, so it's Linda and Waylon. Waylon? Uh, Walden. Walden. Yes. No. It's Walden. Yes, it is. I have the script it's right not here. not Walden. <laughs> I do. Do you not believe me? I don't me? actually believe you. I have the script right here. They even have last names. Yeah, what's his name? It's not Walden. It is. It's Waylon. Uh, it is. Oh. What the heck? You don't have shit. Oh my gosh, is this a Berenstein uh, Bears situation? Yeah. Okay, here are the characters. Allison, Ferdy, Rick, Linda. It's Rick. Because it's Rick Stanton and Linda Stanton. So there, we've met all of our teens. Let's go over them one more time. We've got... Allison, Ferdy, Rick, Linda, Susie, Greg, Mike, and Leslie. How many is that? It's eight, but it's eight. they're all just pairs. It's really easy because within the first scene, they've already started to pair off everyone well, except the last two, which are just so obviously going to be paired off that it's clear to just remember them in pairs of Michael and Leslie, Ferdy and Allison, Susie and Greg, and Rick and Linda, apparently. I like that before we're even done meeting all of the teen characters, there's a lightning storm. It's stormy this night. It's not rainy. It's not windy. But it, there is lightning. And that lightning is going to strike not once, not twice, but 
three times on the computer dome on top of the building. So don't worry, there's somebody working there, the security officer. There's a security engineer up there uh, who's keeping a stern watch. He's like a security scientist. They bought these three robots to assumedly save money on security, but they need to employ full-time a scientist in the control room. And it sounds like, at least at some point, someone to check on the scientist because someone shows up later to a check on him. A second scientist, who so, I yeah, assume relieve him There's from at least two host. part-time scientists that you need to employ to avoid employing three part-time security guards. I imagine... I'm not sure that that math is really working out, but this is only the, the beginning of this mall's financial hardships security Was security wise. so bad before these three robots, before Dr. Stan Winston was commissioned to create a bunch of kill bots? Okay, yeah, well, not to jump ahead, but at no point in this movie does any th store except about two or three in an eight-story mall have any type of sliding door on the front, bars, or any security at all. So, again, the mall has decided, how do we fix this security flaw? We could buy, like... A few thousand dollars worth of gates for these buildings. Mm -hmm. Sure. Or, or, three experimental, highly dangerous, multi-million dollar robots. Ooh, we like the sound of that. That's And that's exactly what happened, I have to imagine. So, the lightning strike brings one or all of the killbots to life. They activate, and the security engineer notices something strange. And I'm sorry to cut in again, but we have no idea what the hell it does to them. Because one of them turns on and starts doing shit. It's not clear if it was hacked, if it was damaged, if it's changed its programming, or if something just, the lightning just pushed the on button. For all we know, it was going to kill everyone if you just pushed it on. Yeah. At no point is it even like, we don't even get a well, shot of a like surge. a terrible like ASCII art monitor saying, System error, system error, system error. We never get killbot error. vision. Nothing, absolutely nothing to confirm that the lightning directly affected these robots outside of it happened before the robot turned on. So maybe Zeus hacked the robots and made them kill everything with his mighty lightning bolt. But the point is, the security officer responds to the one odd noise that he hears by promptly looking at pornography, thus sealing his fate. Because as we all know, people who have any sexual libido die in horror movies. So he's pierced through the throat, instant kill, instantly dead. With a little trickle of blood coming down his throat. And his eyes. For some reason, his eyes yeah. bleed, too. Then we, know, get to, then we get to the party. And we see everyone is just kind of dancing in their couples. And the two uh, Ferdy there who didn't have a, uh, a girl. Okay, well, I think you're going to have to move a lot faster Well, we skipped synopsis. a little bit where Ferdy, or where uh, Greg and uh, his girlfriend have to convince the owner of the furniture store to let them stay there because they're going to close up early. But that's not important because we get to a goddamn orgy. I'm just no, going to skip it. No, it's not an orgy. An orgy would be if they were having sex, like, as a group. It is three distinctly separate in three separate show beds, because this is a furniture store, couples having sex. They begin to have sex they're drinking, they're partying inside the furniture store after hours. They're all having sex with each other, and Ferdy and Allison are watching a horror movie in the same room as six people having separate sex with each other. One of them is even screaming, you're the king! And they're like, ha 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 ha, oh, she's, she's so silly. Like, that's fun and normal and funny to them. 
It's got to be a horror movie for someone, and nothing scares parents more than the idea of their teens having sex. Oh, man. And then there's like, there's just, there's a lot of boob in this scene. It's just gratuitous boob. And that's why I, this movie is an exploitation film, because at the end of the day, it's just a lot of naked women and then them dying. Um, which you could say for a lot of horror movies, but in this one, it seems to be the main focus. Even the, like, kill bots is heavily, quote unquote, as they're featured. Um, the boobs, I want to say, get more screen time. So, anyway, after the lightning storm uh, wakes up the robots and they start killing people, and after the orgy has started, um, Mike and Leslie leave the furniture store. Actually, you know, Mike has to leave the furniture store because Leslie tells him to go buy cigarettes. That's because right. Because she needs a cigarette after the assumedly... Ma- I keep using a she fake the word. King. Amazing sex that they've had. Yeah, it was just magnificent. Um, grabs his badge because, you know, he actually apparently remembers that the robots are walking around. Grabs still his has badge. gum. Of course, still has his gum. Um, proceeds down to the cigarette machine, which I guess still existed in 1986. Um, probably not in California and probably not at that mall. But anyway. Um, buys his cigarettes. At which point, a robot reels around the corner, and he, smartly having his badge, and despite not being at the training this morning, knows what to do, presents it to the robot for about 0.2 seconds before flicking it away and being disappointed at how long it's taking. Did we mention the payphone that he answers? (laughs) Oh, no. Well, yeah, the cigarette machine is right next to three payphones, like always. Um, And one rings. Which is like a scare. It's like he doesn't jump. No, he he just turns around and goes, picks it up and goes, "Hello." Um, some exchange happens that satisfies him about how it's like it's not my job to tell you when the like uh mall closes. Like it was a random patron calling the mall number, and it ran to that. Then it hangs up, and there's really no importance to that ever again. He just proves that you should answer payphones, I guess. No, but that's kind of like what gets him distracted enough for the he uh, the killbot to sneak up on him and then he shows him the badge that it, it like kind of recognizes it at first, but then calls him an intruder anyway. And there is our second but death. See, does does it even call him an intruder or does it just kill him? And that's okay, it's our second death, but you never told them who the first one was. No, the first one was the, the security first... engineer. And then it's our third death. Oh. Are you forgetting about the janitor that it, like, spits a taser next to and electrocutes? Yes, yes I am. Did that happen already? Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, so, so there's the, a janitor. So the first time we see it kill anyone actually in the mall... Wow, we're doing a great job. At it's a janitor job. just <laughs> cleaning up a pile of ice cream after being taunted by his already drunk janitor friends who are on their way out. Played by Dick Miller. And the robot comes up, knocks over his mop bucket, he swears at it. It shoots a taser dart at him, misses hilariously. <laughs> he berates it, and then it electrocutes him to death because he's standing in water in also ice cream. rubber work boots. But, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, so you're right. That was another death that I totally glossed over. And um, mind you, the teens never find his body, even though it has to be on one of the floors they're on because they've hard established the robots are all set on these specific floors in the beginning. Yeah, they say floors like one, two, and three. That's where the robots are. Yeah. It's a seven-story mall, it's but a... <laughs> three robots again. Three robots barely capable of getting up or down a floor. Um, really quickly, that janitor was portrayed, as I said, by Dick Miller, who apparently was playing the same character as his character from a 1959 dark comedy called Bucket of Blood. So once again, this movie takes place in the universes of Eating Raoul and Bucket of Blood, where these characters continue to live their lives and exist and do silly things in malls. <sighs> so then what happens? Uh, let's see, then Leslie 
I think, has to go wander away to try to find where her cigarettes are. Oh, and her boyfriend, too. That's right. She trips over um, his body. At which point she literally keeps staring into the distance until she trips over his legs, which are clearly sitting in front of her. And then the robot just kills chases her. Chases her. No, it chases her. It's shooting no, lasers right. at her. You're right. This is the wonderful this is, part. This is the best one where it's shooting her with lasers, and some of them are clearly hitting her. But she's and not going down. She's kind of like, it's like someone's shooting her with a pellet gun. With like BB guns. Like, Aerosol. it hurts, and she's reacting, but it's not and really screaming. doing much. And then she rounds the corner in front of the furniture store, Wherever all gives her friends a can see. big look at her friends, and a laser hits her straight in the head, and her head fucking explodes. Boom! Just like someone put an M80 in there. And these lasers are so insanely inconsistent, but that is by far the most powerful we see them be when they just M80 some girl's head in front of all of her friends. Of course, some blood spray on the glass in front of them. And they instantly and almost unspeakingly decide that they now need to retreat to the back room well, and after, try to escape them all. That's right. After they see that, they go to a sporting goods store. That's just glass. There's no metal. There's no grates or anything. They smash through the glass. And what do they find immediately? Shotguns. And what's it directly across from the shotguns? Ammo. <laughs> and an M16. They pick up <laughs> automatic a shotgun. Rifles. A well, fully automatic rifle. No, no, no. It's a fully automatic rifle. Okay. Yeah. Somehow just sitting there out on the shelf. Um, and all the ammo you need. And some gas cans, some propane tanks and things. Meanwhile, they send the girls up into the uh, ventilation shafts to escape. And it's so hot up there. They can barely take it while the guys are throwing propane tanks at the robots and trying desperately to uh, uh, blow them up. So they actually seem to blow up one of the robots, at least to us, it seems. And so while they're setting up the mall elevator as a booby trap, the robots ambush the girls who have now come out of the uh, ventilation shop because Susie was complaining that it was so hot in there. Susie was the only one that couldn't take it. So the three girls are running away from one of the kill bots. And what happens? Um... God, okay, Susie. So, yeah, so the girls have. We have to step back a half second and go. The, the girls have decided to weaponize with a bunch of kerosene bottles that they've shoved rags into. Um, so they throw one at the robot chasing them. It catches on fire and predictably rolls straight through it because, because it's not a an animal robot. Um, and so they scream and run and scream and run. And of course, Susie is doing her best scream. Oh man, it is just blood curdling scream she's got. Uh, and so she freaks out, falls down, and the robot proceeds to, like, laser around her because it has absolutely no chance of hitting shit. And then it notices a kerosene can next to her. Aims at that. Aims perfectly. Hits it. And then she... Ignites. Ignites and pretty slowly burns to death. And while all of the friends watch... Oh, actually, the girls are watching, and then the guys show up because they hear a commotion Yeah, to see her burn to death. And the girls were already arguing, like, we have to help her, but the killbot was, like, right there, and if they had gotten out of cover, they would have definitely Well, they also didn't shot. even have any guns or anything. It like, was kind of scary, Well, then moment. the guys, like, unload into it with guns, and we realize that it's completely bulletproof. Yeah, completely bulletproof. Which, yeah, it's got so many features. Many unnecessary features. So now that the teenagers have regrouped, they rig the elevator trap on the second robot. The elevator trap essentially, uh, what is what does it consist of? Two propane tanks on top of the elevator. Enough said. That's it. That's the trap. They don't even blow up the propane tanks. They're like putting the oh, that's gas right. like down They're into funneled. the robot into the elevator so that they can blow up the robot in the elevator. And it's like you have two compressed 
gas cans and guns. Just shoot the compressed gas can well, instead of filling an elevator with loose amounts of that gas. Which is what they do. They're all terrible shots, which prompts Allison to grab the gun out of Ferdy's hand and shoot the propane tank with one shot because her dad is a Marine. And which you know, makes her... Sharpshooting <laughs> is biological. It runs in the family. She's everything her father is. So the important thing is their silly elevator trap works. It actually destroys one of the robots. Then they're hiding out in the restaurant where Allison and the now dead Susie worked. And inside, Greg confronts Allison and Linda about leaving the air ducts and killing Susie. So he's he's feeling rage about Susie's death. And he's pulling a gun on Ferdy when he intercedes on Allison's and Linda's behalf. So Rick calms him down. And Ferdy suggests destroying the robot's main control center that he knows about he's the one that says we have to make sure we destroy the main control center located on the mall's third floor which i didn't know about i thought everything was on the roof see i knew i wasn't crazy when i thought something was on the third floor so greg very soon after this runs to the top of an escalator of the third floor and gets killed by a kill bot at the top of the elevator picks him up chucks him off picks him up throws him down and he's dead um i think he still had gun uh gum in his mouth at that oh no that was mike sorry yeah number four yeah. <laughs> so while on the run, they also find the f- the first robot recovered after its earlier defeat. The explosion robot didn't actually explode. It's still there. So there's four left. Allison, Ferdy, Rick, and Linda. They're hiding inside a department store where they set up mannequins in an attempt to confuse the robots with mirrors, which they hide behind. They set up the mannequins, they set up the mirrors, and what do they do? They stand among the mannequins well, and shoot the robots. how would you shoot it ineffectively? <laughs> You know, if you weren't facing we right learned, at it. We already learned they're bulletproof at this point. Um, so it starts to work when the man, when the machines start firing at the dummies and one of them's blinded from its own reflected laser. Shoots itself in the eye and it's like, error, error. Um, Linda, though, is killed by the blinded robot. Uh, how did that happen? God, yeah, how does Linda actually die by it? Oh, I think, no, no, that's, that's, yeah. Linda is... Linda's just shot in the back with a laser. Yeah, that's all. She just gets shot in the back with a laser. Yeah, I think so. She's No, she sticks around for way too long <laughs> to the point where they frame her like in the middle of a shot for a really long time. We're sitting here going, what is she looking at? Oh, that's right. She's Why looking. She she's there? yelling at her boyfriend. She's, she's saying, at, like, she's she's saying Rick, Rick, stop, stop. Kind of for no reason. For no reason. She should have been running with the others. She gets shot. Rick sees this and his immediately immediate reaction to his girlfriend, his wife dying <clears throat> is to hop onto a little yellow like uh what do you call those it's like a tricycle yeah like a luggage cart in the mall and ram the kill bot and what happens when he rams the kill bot uh he gets electrocuted he gets electrocuted of course which makes complete sense and then the kill bot explodes because being hit like two miles per hour by a small buggy is enough to destroy it when bullets hails of bullets were unable to even damage it so it works we've destroyed another machine as the final robot corners Allison for Allison, Ferdy rescues her and shoots at it point blank, damaging its laser just before he's rendered unconscious. We thought he was dead. I thought he died. Remember? We do see him bleeding out the back of his head. Yeah, he gets knocked down like a whole floor. Uh, and um, yeah, he's bleeding pretty profusely out the back of his head. So despite an injured leg... Allison escapes into the paint store and sets up... Oh my god, can we talk about Allison's injured leg for half a second? Please. So, Allison 
is running from the robot through a bunch of debris. How does she injure her leg initially? She has a giant fall. Okay, yeah. So, she also Oh, falls. that's what it is. She gets essentially knocked off like th a three-story like, drop because yeah. she's hanging from a balcony or hanging from the ledge trying to avoid the robot. And, and she, she can't get, hold on it anymore. It gets too close and she lets go and she falls through like a tent, but basically just hits cement it's, three it's stories like down. It's like a spiked tent. And then the, the actress portraying Allison proceeds to crawl away from this fall using all of her limbs like she's military and at no point does she make a grab for her ankle a like grab for her knee anything, anything to, to tell us the us. audience what hurts something because she literally i tried to watch she uses her ankles she uses her knee she uses her elbows she uses her arms she uses like she makes sure to demonstrate that everything works in her weird crab walk for no fucking so reason. So that when she's standing, the she robot, can limp. The robot is another floor above her. It's the last robot. And she is, like, crawling, like, through grass. I don't know how to describe it. Just, it's an like insanely inefficient way. Like, under barbed wire. Just the most inefficient way of moving. So... So Allison is effectively the final girl. Everyone else is dead, and Allison limps her way to a paint store where she gets the great idea, presumably from her marine father, to set a trap. A booby trap, if you will. She starts knocking down paint after paint after paint. We got this bucket. We got that bucket. We got paint thinner. We got all of this mess. And when the robot gets there, it loses its traction with its treads. It can't quite turn or move. So that's not how the robot's defeated. No, of course it's through shooting it. Well, she throws a flare. She oh, has yeah, a flare right. that she hid in her boobs, takes it out, says her final line, which, so every time the robots killed somebody, they would say, thank you, have a nice day. So Allison's uh, final line, when she throws the flare into the paint, she says, have a nice day. And the paint and primer, thinner and everything, Thing explodes in the biggest explosion in this whole movie, way bigger than uh, 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 Linda's head or God, whoever's head exploded. <laughs> way bigger, giant explosion from all that paint, and she hobbles away. And who does she find? Ferdy. Ferdy's alive. So they end up happily ever after, and the movie ends. That's the story of Chopping Mall in a nutshell, essentially. So, a movie that literally, to the character's credit, they could have just waited out in a back room for the entire movie. They, at no point do these robots show that they're good at tracking, or that even they're actually trying to pursue the teens. No, there's not it's, even like It's a, not clear that they're not just doing their job. No, there's never a moment where it's like, Plus oh, murder. their their security thing was turned up to 11, so they now deem everyone as breaking some kind of rules. No, they're just evil killbots. So, this is the part of the show where we talk about some of our analyses, what we thought about it, what it made us think about, what uh, we liked, what we didn't like, what we liked that we didn't like. Um, Derek, why don't you go first? Um, I liked the feature set of the robots. The feature set? Like yeah. the powers? Yeah, like these robots have oh, yeah. some very, very impressive powers. Um, I'm going to start with their most important feature is they have the loudest neck in the industry. <laughs> No robot can compete in sheer volume when heads are being turned. And that is the first power they establish in the intro. Um, it is apparently programmed to dispose of evidence and bodies after committing murders. Because, again, we don't know what the lightning did, but apparently it programmed it how to hide bodies to ambush other people. Um, it has a stealth mode, neck only, um, <laughs> for when it needs to ambush anyone. 
Uh, its lasers are, as I said earlier, harmless to wool and denim, but completely explosive to craniums. Yeah, they go, they like singe uh, her pants and things. That's it. Um, it can shoot plastic explosives out of itself. Uh, oh my god, I for forgot absolutely about that. no reason. I forgot the scene. Um, it, yeah, because, okay, we see it cut through a door for about an hour and a half as it uses its laser eye. And then the next scene, we see it blow up another door using six dots of plastic explosive it's that insane. it can dispense. Um, this so, is like a CIA robot. Yeah, that, uh, of course, rapid fire lasers. Do you remember uh, the taser? Complete bulletproof. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it has a mode where its engine kicks into what I can only call lawnmower mode, in which it sounds like a gas engine just <laughs> burning. The, just terrible, terrible sound effect. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's about it for its impressive feature set. But just, yeah, I, the fact that these robots were ever built or could ever exist, it's uh, it's nonsense. My other thought, coming completely unrelated, is that... Apparently, to tell the audience that Allison and Ferdy are nerds, they made them dress identically. It's completely unexplained, but both of them have to wear unflattering khaki pants, a weird pink shirt, and... <laughs> yeah, they're really dressed identically. no other accoutrements uh, except their permed-out hair. And it's, it's funny because they're played as the least, like, fashionable of these set of teens. They're the most morally and conscious. By modern standards, their look has kind of come back into fashion more. They're wearing the millennial pink. They've got kind of a neat little hipstery vibe with their giant glasses. <laughs> Everyone else is just wearing tight jeans. Like, that shit's out of fashion Ferdy, now. Ferdy would do just fine in 2017. <laughs> yeah. They've got pretty good looks going on. Yeah, the teens, as far as... I, it's funny. In a lot of these movies, they'll cast older people to play people, like, half their age. The teens in this movie seem like teens. I don't know if they're much older than they're supposed to be portraying, but to me, they seem like they're... Uh, Linda and Rick are at least, like, Well, they're 28. married. <laughs> so. Like, there's absolutely no way. They haven't been teens in a decade or yeah. more. Um, but, yeah, no, that's... That's so, true here. So really quick, I want to break down the logic of how this movie even sets itself up. So like we said, at some point in time, the Sherman Oaks Galleria, or wherever this place, uh, this movie is taking place, had such security problems that the the management or maybe even the patrons themselves all got together and were like, there has to be a change. This is too much. We're getting our jewels stolen every night. And they're running out at 6 a.m. unabated. What is going on? We've got to do something. And so management once again commissions Securetronics or maybe the... Uh, I really want to remember See, his name. even this would be better if they Dr. explained, Stan like, Simon. what if Securetronics was an evil company? And they wanted, a chance, cool. they wanted a chance to test their military killbots that they were going to use overseas or against the Russians. And that they wanted a, a chance twist. to test them. And that's why they came to this mall. No, that doesn't exist. There's absolutely no reason why these things are so militarized, why the mall can afford them, or why they'd ever consider these over cheap, functional human security guards. It's easy to say because the script was written in 24 hours. Um, I'm not sure, but that's a movie... I, I don't know. Yeah, it would have made the third act more interesting if Stan... If doctor, if the doctor had like come back and gone like, oh yes, they're working just as planned. Yeah, it takes like two more scenes, and I've suddenly given it an actual reason to exist. Because I don't buy that they came to life. 
from the lightning strike thing. Oh, you like, were talking they still about, seem no, like... Kyle, they clearly came to life. And you know who tells us that they came to life is Chief Genius, Ferdy. Ferdy! Ferdy, who hits us with a quote so staggering that I had to write it down because... First they're like, who knows what they're planning? Who knows what they're planning? Because they're, this is while they're building the elevator trap. And Ferdy says, I have a worry. What if these things can read our minds? And his friends take him seriously. Neither of them go, Ferdy, those are computers, you giant, massive idiot. No. No, they both go, huh. Oh, well, when it reads my mind, it's going to know how angry I am. They're robots. They're robots. They're They're robots. robots. Oh, my God. Ferdy has up to this point been established as the social pariah with big giant glasses. I guess I'm the idiot for assuming that he knows 1% of sci-fi knowledge for enjoying horror movies and not boobs. We just watched him hack an elevator panel to get the elevator working despite the fact that the power is out. And now I have to believe that the man thinks... Robots are reading his mind. Why couldn't they just give that to one of the idiots? There were two other idiots with him. They had two disposable idiots in that scene, and they chose to have me ask the nerd, go, what if these things can read our minds? Which I wanted Ferdy to die from that point. doesn't (laughs) matter. Your your trap is so fucking obvious that they're going to fall into it even if they can read your stupid mind. It doesn't even work anyway. No, no. God. The killbots can be outrun. Oh yeah, that's, that's the thing. pretty established. If they, if not for their lasers and their head-seeking missiles, um, they literally would be not a threat. They can be outrun. You can always outrun them, even in lawnmower mode. They're they're just completely defeatable enemies. They go slower up escalators. They well, can go up the escalator. It's actually not even clear that they can go up the escalator. <laughs> I know you see it happen once in this movie, but it's the power is still out, like it's been all night, because you know they just cut the power to the building at night that's what most buildings do um and, and so lock it down until 6 a.m nothing in nothing out yeah, magnetic doors no power but you know except i guess the computers there's still air there's heating going on at the time still because the air ducts are hot the, the girls the can't handle has it has to go on all the time it's freezing in california <laughs> it's freezing <laughs> yeah so the killbots can be outrun things that don't work on the killbots bullets propane explosions Fire. Uh, fire. Things that do work on the robots. Screaming. Propane explosions. Fire. Um, fire. <laughs> Paint explosions. Um. Oh, other things that don't work. Ramming it. <laughs> well, actually, no, that did work. Oh, that's right, it did work. <laughs> I mean, it's a kamikaze attack, but it worked. It cost him his life, but it did work. Um... But that God. one was weakened, though. It was weakened by her sacrifice of dying pointlessly. So the security engineers at the top, who, or maybe the third floor, wherever they're located, do they stay in the mall 24 hours a day? Well, if not for the fact that the robot killed one and then the other, I guess, yeah, they would be there all the time. It seemed like the robots Again. weren't even going to be activated that night. It seemed like he was just going to hang was, out in yeah, there with them. surprised when they activated. <laughs> uh, it's... <laughs> it's baffling. Again, like, it needs a framing device for why these robots exist at all. <laughs> because they're not doing any job. They're just there to kill. And they're so much less efficient than any other but solution. But that's the thing. I either want a reason for them to be there, or a reason for them to be killing. And there's neither for any. The, the, they're here because we need them. We need the security. 
I feel like it's piggyback. I man, when did RoboCop come out? I want to like I should have looked into that because I feel like this movie is piggybacking off of some of the like robots in general are scary. Oh, from, I think like, that's a big '80s trope. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that we didn't it's sort of a, a misunderstanding of technology. And plus, it's also funny because the thing that they're showing in this movie fundamentally is like what Nightscope and other companies are making right now in 2017 is a robot to walk around a mall and make loud noises at people and shoot. The- shoot a taser maybe basically just deter mind you the last headline i remember seeing about the nightscope robots is the one that fell into a fountain while it was walking around and couldn't see stairs uh so i don't think we're quite there yet but the 80s were really really hopeful apparently that we'd just be able to invent really smart robotics and really good decision-making robots. Like, that was the thought. It's like, oh, well, we went from having crappy computers to amazing computers, so it must be easy to go from having absolutely no AI to fully aware, like, human-ish AI. I think there's a weird, like, fascination with the automation of jobs back when that wasn't even a possibility, when that was still a, a crazy oh, but that was a huge dream. deal back then, still. Was automation? Yeah. It was being automated at the time. Oh, I mean, automation and, like, overseas working, way? too. Like, a lot of, like, robotic production in, like, assembly line type of work was already in place in the 80s, I And was think. that scaring people? Yeah, that and foreign labor became a big scare issue in the 80s, too, especially Japan. Okay, well, let's look at it in this way. If um, there's no security guard in this movie to represent, like, the, oh, these guys are taking our jobs. We don't like this new company coming in. But let's imagine that you're a security guard watching this movie who's given the subtextual horror of here comes the robots to take your job you're also getting the vindication of they've done a really bad job at it Mm -hmm. though but how because of an act of god see this goes even further into machines that we don't understand is like okay here's a machine that we already don't understand now give it life think of like johnny five uh did they giving robots life is that what this is is it supposed to be like a johnny five situation or like a look who's talking wait wait it's not look who's talking no that's the babies yeah no No, johnny five is no the one with vicky the hell's the stupid 80s show with the little girl i don't know that one Oh, damn it! It's the one Roger tries out for it. Never mind. I'm not going to get <laughs> into American this. Dad. Yeah, um, <laughs> this is an '80s horror movie podcast. Yeah, sorry, it's an '80s show podcast. <sighs> well, someone can write in and tell me what Vicky was from. Yeah, or maybe you can tweet it before before uh, next week. <laughs> um. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so... It's such a creepy show. It's about this, like, old man who lives with this little, like, girl of a robot that he takes care of as if it's his daughter, but, like, she does shit, like, power down, and he, like, carries her into the other room. It's really <laughs> fucking weird, and I don't I know what it's what called. I talking about. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, in the 80s, there's a, there's a very bizarre fascination with, like I said, the automating of things in what I believed was a time before automation uh, was as real a thing as it is today. But from what my guests are telling me, that was not you the know, case. You know, I'm not going to overstate what I know. I don't know very much about it. But I think it, it was at least a concern, or even if not automation, a concern of just the idea that job security wasn't a given. And it, it never really was, but that that there was a chance that this system wasn't going to be working for everyone. Well, I think it's interesting to think about who the movie is made for, essentially. It's got a bunch of TNA... And it's got a bunch of killing things. Is this for the teenage audience that is, you know, going out and say, hey, mom, we're going to go see, oh, what were the other movies that came? We're going to go see Highlander. And they're like, okay, have fun. Or is it for the uh, horror audience that might be going to see House, who's like, hey, mom, we're going to go see House, this uh, good horror movie with no boobs. I don't think there was that much thought about who this is for. I think you're right, because this the movie really, terribly This feels like a movie that... <laughs> 
it was made just to be made. Like the people wanted to make it. The guys had a casting couch situation that they worked wanted... for them, mm-hmm. and there was no reason they should bother to really make it any more than it had to be. And that this movie i did too i actually really thought it tells a pretty funny silly little story it kills on like hilarious beats it does them quick enough it has like 10 deaths within its like quick little runtime. the robots are hokey and hilarious and it's actually a pretty fun romp that never feels bogged down by plot to the point of the characters literally never communicate their plans verbally to each other. We see the like aftermath or like, there were, like right two before, big traps. Yeah, right before the trap goes off. At no point does anyone turn to the other one and go, Hey, we'll have to go get some or maybe we should try to blow it up or anything. They just There's do it. literally They just show. Yeah, just it's a show. Don't don't, tell. don't even write or think about how they could have possibly done it. Just hey, they're gonna make like an explosion in the elevator then or they something. Do it. Yeah, and then they do it. And you know what? It's fun. And that's fine. Honestly, this movie does what a lot of um, horror movies now don't, uh, or it, Chopping Mall doesn't do what uh, some horror movies do that I don't enjoy, which is belaboring characters. Um, we don't need to know the ins and outs of every single character in a horror movie because guess what? They're gonna die. No, it's like we're here to watch these eight people die. That's and the movie knows that. All from, I need to know from is the first scene. It knows that we're just waiting for these eight people to die, and that's fine. And it does exactly what we want to with it. And it it's why it kills people like Michael so fast because he's already been established as gum chewing sex moron. Yeah, and that's cool. Oh, just kill him now. I, love... I don't need to know any more about him. What is Mike's girlfriend? Susie. No, Susie's the smarter no, one. Yeah, She's sorry. the dumbest one among Mike them. and Leslie. Uh, Leslie. Um. We see a shot where Mike is under the covers and Leslie has her legs propped up. Allegedly, Mike was just attempting to give her uh, oral and she's not into it. She doesn't like it. She's telling him like, oh, can you stop? And Mike's like, I thought you liked this. Then he pulls his head up and he's still chewing gum. Yeah. Two things I have a problem with here. I thought women loved that. Okay, well, first we of all... We should establish we are two men. No, well, we're two gay men. Um, we're two gay men. But beyond that, it's not that... You're making a huge assumption that it was oral, by the way. That's like, fair. He could have been tickling her toes. <laughs> uh, mm, that's an innocent interpretation because she goes, you know, I don't oh. let that happen. I mean, there's there's multiple options downstairs. I forgot. How did you... Okay, well, that's kind of inexcusable. <laughs> but, um... Uh. So, I mean, we can maybe think that? I don't think so, but the gum line still only gets worse no matter where you're going. Chopping Mall is fun. It is a shame when you learn and do some research into what this movie was made and why it was made and how it essentially was just one large vehicle for a couple of people to climb ever higher into an industry where they can continue to be absolute despicable monsters. I want to go on record on this podcast as kind of outing these two guys as uh, I really hope they don't work anymore because this is despicable. Jim Wynorski, you're a bad person. Jim Wynorski, you're a bad person. Steve Mitchell, you're a bad person. You enabled Jim Wynorski. You're a bad person. You had knowledge in 2014 that you laughed about. Jim Wynorski, Steve Mitchell, you're on notice. Love the gory days. 
So without further ado, let's get to the part where we take some suggestions and uh, questions and things from Twitter. Uh-oh, episode two, and we still don't have any. That's okay, you guys. You can follow us on at the gory days on Twitter and send us any of your thoughts on next week's film, which we'll announce before the end of the podcast. Before we do, though, my favorite part, our rating. This is the part of the podcast, the gory days, where we talk about what we thought of the movie based on basically anything we want. We rate it on a scale of zero to five thumbs, zero being the worst and five being the best. Derek, what do you think of chop, uh, Chopping Mall? I mean, Chopping Mall's not a good movie in the sense of movies, but I don't think any movie that this podcast is going to watch, with with a few exceptions, is going to be really a good movie. Um, I'm going to rate it on how much fun I actually had watching it, and I'm going to give it a solid four. Four thumbs? Four thumbs. Okay. You want want to explain a little bit more why? Let's see. Uh, like it's I think I, I, I hit them kind of earlier, but I'll, I'll kind of bang through it again. Of the robots are hokey and hilarious. Their powers are ill-defined and also really funny, at, like an Inspector Gadget level cartoon sense. Um, the teens all die, just kind of how we want them to. In order, the movie has no confusion over what it is. It's here to show us eight teens getting what they deserve, and then like, well, I guess two of them get out at the end because they get what they deserve. But it's fun, it's quick, it doesn't get bogged down, it doesn't really feel like it takes itself seriously at all, and that's sort of what lets it be fun. Uh, the designs, like I said, the robot designs are just so hokey and perfectly 80s that the finding out how low-budget it is just makes it even better. Um, it, it doesn't feel campy. And that's a personal note of just, I don't like camp that much. Um, it, it feels sort of honest in its attempt to make just a, you know, fun little murder romp. And, uh, yeah, no, it was just, it's a fun movie that does exactly what you expect it to. And I guess I just went into it really expecting a, you know, garbage fire. And it ended up being an enjoyable, you know, 90 minutes or however long this actually was. That's probably one of the best reviews it's gotten. Um, now, traditionally, who do those thumbs belong to? Oh, they definitely all belong to the robot. Two, <laughs> two on each of its little arms, because every time it attacks someone, I forgot to tell you anyone this, it throws its arms up in the air, which look like desk lamps, by the way. Like, they're not even remotely yeah, with the hinges. thick. They're little, like, hingy little desk lamp arms. It throws them up in the air like a little crab, puts its hands straight up, and then just charges straight forward at you, and it is the most ludicrous pose, and it just... It's wonderful. So yeah, those four little thumbs are on the grabby pincer arms shoved up into the air as it tries to maybe run you down. Thank you. I agree. Um, Well, I I agree with uh, some of what you said. And what would you rate it? I liked the movie as well. I was surprised by its portrayal of the women in it, quite honestly. Allison has a lot of uh, agency and a lot to do. She's the only one that can make a shot. She's the one that's trying to initiate sex with Ferdy, and Ferdy's the one that's kind of, like, unsure about the whole thing. She knows uh, she knows her body, and she knows what she wants. I think that's pretty cool. Um the monsters, or I'm sorry, the, the robots in it are hilarious. They look like Black Manta from uh, uh, Aquaman um, on a wheel. All of their powers, they just come out of left field constantly. I'm guessing, like, what the next power is going to be. 
Um, and the deaths in it, while there's only one that really stood out, the head explosion one, I'm a sucker for body horror and things like that, uh, the rest of them were definitely deserved. Um, it follows a lot of horror movie tropes for the time, uh, which isn't a problem for me. Uh, so, let's see. It's a shame about the history of it, but if we're looking at this movie in a vacuum, I would give it three thumbs. And who do those thumbs belong to? Oh, uh, one of the thumbs definitely belongs to the little kid with the ice cream uh, in the opening montage who's got uh, a full ice cream cone. And then the throngs of people go in there, come back out. Boy is still alone. I assume that's the boy that's lost when they're saying over the PA, we, there's a lost boy by the name of Steven, and he's got chocolate all over his face. Uh, one thumb to them. Another thumb goes to Dr. Stan Winston, the man who invented uh, the Killbots. And the final thumb is going to go to Dr. Oh, what is his name? What is his name? The doctor in the beginning. Dr. Le- oh, in the very beginning, there's a guy who asks the only question and says... And that's not Sam Wilson? That is Sam Wilson. No, Dr. Stan... Win- no. Oh. The dentist? Dr. Stan Simon. Stan Simon is uh, the... Yeah, the dentist or the optometrist or whatever. That's who my third thumb goes okay. to. Yeah, oh, the anonymous doctor. It was so funny. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm going to give it three thumbs. So, that's Chopping Mall. I think we had a pretty good time uh, talking about it. When we, uh, next week on The Gory Days, we're going to be watching a brand new film. And I know that last time I said we were going to be watching... Uh, Creep Show. Creep Show. And instead, we pulled a quick audible and we st- decided to watch Chopping Mall. So, this week, I think we're going to watch... What do you think we're going to watch this week? <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you because I shot myself in the foot last time and all I did was set myself up for disaster. So next week's movie will be a surprise. Don't worry, non-existent Twitter followers who are trying to get your questions in. You get this week off for free. So tune in next time for more on the gory days. Do you want to say anything before we uh, say goodbye, Derek? Uh, it was a pleasure being here and thank you all for listening. Oh, yeah. Have a good one, guys. Stay scary out there. The gory days, the gory days. The Glory Days! If you want your thoughts on each week's movies heard on the podcast, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Gory Days. And look for more episodes each and every week on the Apple Podcast app. See you next time. The Glory Days!